This is Steve Thompson. Previously in Acts, Paul had been mobbed in the temple because they thought he had dared to defile the temple by bringing a Gentile in with him. Of course, that was completely an inaccurate assumption, but the blow-up was so big that a squadron of soldiers, basically a Roman military police squad, were quickly dispatched to calm things down and remove the troublemaker. Paul, not being one to waste an opportunity with a large audience, was allowed to defend himself right there on the doorsteps to the Roman fortress in Jerusalem. He shared his coming to Jesus story, and it all took a turn for the worse as soon as he uttered that word Gentile, implying that God had somehow sent him as an ambassador to those filthy, invading, and occupying forces of their land, the land that God had promised them so long ago. Their theology couldn't rise above their political ideology. And so this is where we pick up our reading in the book of Acts. We're going to read the rest of chapter 22 and then the first 11 verses of chapter 23. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, What are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over to, and asked Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. Paul answered, but I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard that he was a Roman citizen, and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priests into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what this trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias the high priest commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Do you dare insult God's high priest? I I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say, You must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some members of the High Council were Sadducees, and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. 
As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart, so he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. I imagine that as Paul, as soon as Paul was led before the Sanhedrin, probably in chains, he couldn't escape remembering the last time he was there. He was the one dragging other people before this group for judgment. In fact, he probably remembered all too well the man Stephen, who accused them of deliberately disobeying God's law and betraying and murdering the Messiah. He was one of them. He remembers being absolutely enraged by this ridiculous accusation of him, a student of Gamaliel, thoroughly trained in the scriptures and meticulously observant to every stipulation. It had been so satisfying to watch that smug traitor to his people and to their God meet his end right outside the city and on top of a pile of trash that they stoned him on. And now it was more likely his turn. The roles had been completely reversed. How ironic. This time he got angry because he could see the hypocrisy so clearly now. I don't know if Ananias had aged poorly or if Ananias hadn't gotten into his priestly garments for this particular trial, but Paul didn't recognize him. And knowing and observing the law still, he was more than willing to respect the office, but the truth of his accusation still stood. Unlike the Gentile Greek Stephen, Paul had the advantage of understanding the people who stood in judgment over him, and he cleverly used a little divide-and-conquer strategy that instantly brought half the room to his defense. But I imagine he figured it would just buy him time at best. Better to go and be fully in the presence of his Lord, but wanting to take every last possible chance he could to help others embrace their Lord and Messiah. It turns out, God let him know later that night that Jerusalem wasn't his final stop after all. He needed Paul in Jerusalem to share his story, but it was also the place where he'd begin his long-awaited and hoped-for journey to Rome. Certainly not how he would have imagined it. But this was definitely the most direct route of gaining an audience with the most powerful people in the land between Jerusalem and Rome, culminating, hopefully, with the most powerful person on the planet. Imagine if Jesus got a hold of that man's life, Caesar's life. All of this is helpful in understanding what's going on in the storyline of these events that took place two millennia ago. But I keep asking the Holy Spirit, what are you wanting to say to us today through this passage? And honestly, the only thing I keep getting is Jesus' most challenging invitation. Come and die. When Jesus first invited people to follow him, he said, come and I'll make you fishers of men. Later, he helped them count the cost of that decision to keep pursuing him by saying, 
Take up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. Die to your agenda and find life. Jump into my agenda. The picture I get with Paul having done this is just like when Forrest Gump He sees his long-lost friend, Lieutenant Dan, and he completely loses his mind with joy. And instead of parking his shrimp boat, he just catapults himself into the water and swims over to him in order to give him a big wet hug. And as he's doing that, you can hear the boat crash into all sorts of stuff off screen. That's how Paul jumped into Jesus. It was an all-or-nothing proposition for him. His life wasn't his own. It didn't even matter. What mattered was doing what Jesus asked him to do. And I think that's the invitation that still lies open to all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Will we die to ourselves, die to our agenda, die to our controlling and calling the shots? Will we dive into life with God, God's leading, God's calling the shots. Dad in heaven, it's, uh, it's an enormous ask that you make of us. And yet, having read and seen and heard the stories of what happens when people do, when they find life in you, we know that it's so worth it. It's just hard on this side of things when we have really so much to lose so to speak and again I know it's nothing in comparison but from this perspective all we can see is what we have in front of us but Father God today again we hear your call to come and die to live this day not by our agenda, but by your agenda, by your Spirit's leading. And so, (laughs) some of us are saying right now, your will be done. We give up our rights and our agenda, and we ask that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven through us through our lives, through how we live it today, that we could live into your life and your kingdom in such a way that others see you. So God, again, here today, we give you our lives and our time and our resources for this day. I look forward to seeing and hearing what you're asking us to do next. Amen.